Happy birthday to three and thirty. Happy birthday to three and thirty. Happy birthday to three and thirty. Happy birthday to you. Cha cha cha. Welcome to Three and Thirty, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each thirty-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. As you may know, this past Saturday marked two years since I hit publish on Three and Thirty and brought it into the world. It has been an amazing journey of growth and love for me, and I hope for all of you. I had the incredible privilege of celebrating the podcast birthday this past Saturday with about 100 women at my Declutter Your Motherhood workshop. It was magical and meaningful and such a gift to me to be with so many of you who love and support 3 and 30. Thank you. And if you weren't able to attend that live workshop, I encourage you to sign up for one of my online workshops, which are happening this next Saturday and next Wednesday. The sign-up deadline for those is tomorrow, if you're listening to this episode right when it airs. So hurry and go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash workshops for info. So what is an online workshop? It's not pre-recorded. I will be there with you live via a program called Zoom, teaching you all of the workshop content and coaching you through your questions and individual concerns about decluttering your motherhood and building a life around your strengths so you can find more joy as a mom. I'm really excited to have this option for those of you listening who live across the country and world. We have one mom joining us from Sweden and another from Saudi Arabia, and I hope that you will join us too. The best part of 3 and 30 is the community of incredible mothers it has brought together. And today's second birthday episode is a tribute to that. I am so excited to air another installment of my 3 and 30 and has become the tradition. I want to invite you to participate. Do you remember last year for the first birthday of the podcast, I asked all of you to think about what your three takeaways for life, motherhood, and womanhood would be. I firmly and fully believe that every single woman is an expert on something, whether that is navigating sibling conflicts, or it is taking better care of your skin, or it is involving your children in reaching out to the elderly, or it is planning a killer school fundraiser. (laughs) We all have things we are good at and we need to learn from each other and with each other. So with that in mind, I'd like to invite you, just like I did last year, to share your three takeaways with the women in your life and with me over the next two weeks as part of the 3 and 30 birthday celebration. You can share these on social media, via email, or even at in-person gatherings with your friends. If you choose to do it on social media, please share a photo of you holding up three fingers and tag me at 3 and 30 podcast and use the my 3 and 30 hashtag. It was so fun to follow along with those last year and to see the faces of our community members. I can't wait to see what you come up with this year. And if you choose to do an in-person gathering, I have a my 3 and 30 party pack for you with some instructions on how to host a party like this. So go to the show notes of this episode or 3 and 30 podcast.com forward slash birthday 
for all of that info. I heard that those gatherings were a lot of fun last year, and I was actually able to attend one in a town not very far away from me, and I absolutely loved it. So I hope some of you will take advantage of that opportunity to plan something to get women together. Friends, I know I say this on this podcast a lot, but I mean it. I love you. You are so valuable. You have so much goodness to share with your children and with the world. And if your initial thought is, I don't have three takeaways to share with anyone on about anything, maybe this challenge is especially important for you to take on. It doesn't have to be life-changing, profound takeaways. I promise you, you have something meaningful to share. And to get you started thinking of some ideas, in this episode, you'll hear from four mamas from this community who have reached out to me in the past few months via email sharing their three takeaways on a variety of topics, and I asked them to record those so that I can compile them all as this birthday episode. It's an honor to share them and their work with you today. So with no further ado, this is episode 103, My 3 and 30, the Happy Birthday Edition. Hola and hello. My name is Vanessa and I'm the mom to three little girls ages four, two, and three months. I was born and raised in Mexico and my husband was born in Ecuador. Now we live in Phoenix, Arizona, but we're raising our kids as bilingual English Spanish speakers as a way to honor our roots and because we think it's so important that they can communicate well with all of our family members who are spread across three different countries. I focus on speaking only Spanish with my girls and trust that they'll learn English at school, with friends, and well, basically everywhere else. This passion for bilingual education also led me to start a business called Sol Book Box, which is a monthly Spanish children's book subscription service. I also celebrate, support, and hopefully provide some helpful tips to other bilingual families via my blog, bilingualbookworm.com. In the four years I've been a mom, I've learned a lot of things about doing something that almost no one else around me is doing, as I speak exclusively Spanish to my kids. Yes, even in public. Yes, even when I'm getting dirty looks. So today I'm sharing my three takeaways for how to mom differently than everyone else around you. I hope this helps those of you who, like me, are raising kids far from your country or language of origin. But I think to some extent we're all momming a little bit differently than the other moms in our circle, whether because of language, culture, religion, or, you know, any number of other things. My first takeaway is that you don't have to do it alone. I know you've heard this before, it takes a village. But when no one around you is doing things the way you do them, it's even more crucial to find support. Luckily, we live in an age where the internet makes finding anything, including a tribe, rather easy. So, for example, we don't live around family, so most of my kids' day is in English. I knew that if I wanted them to speak Spanish, I, as a main caregiver, was going to be almost single-handedly responsible for teaching them an entire language. This was daunting. It was daunting until I remembered that I might be the only Spanish speaker around, but I wasn't, in fact, the only Spanish speaker in the world. So we enlisted our family and friends to do FaceTime calls in Spanish. We joined a Spanish-speaking church congregation. We found a Spanish immersion preschool, and I connected online with so many other moms raising bilingual kids. Brainstorming ways to get some help, support, and encouragement so you're not the only one in charge of all of your kids' exposure to Judaism or Korean or whatever your family's unique circumstances makes momming differently much less overwhelming and exhausting. My second takeaway is to focus on the similarities, not the differences. No matter how, how different we may seem from each other, most of us have similar experiences and emotions. One of my dear friends parents her kids in a way that is almost the polar opposite of how I do things. When we first met, I thought that we didn't have much at all in common. 
I noticed a lot of obvious differences, such as the language we use with our kids, attitudes towards religion, and even our general parenting philosophies. But at the time we met, I was deep in the trenches with really tiny kids, and because I had just quit my job to stay home with them, also rather desperate to make mom friends, so I was committed to making this relationship work. And in fact, we've been able to become really great friends, because as we talk, we find our similarities and focus on those instead of debating our differences. When you're the only mom around that does things a certain way, it's easy to feel isolated and frankly kind of weird. Finding commonalities with the other women in your life helps to gain insight and feel less alone. And this can be an especially helpful tip when navigating generational differences even within the same family. I've met women who constantly felt judged by their mother or their grandmother because of how they chose to raise their kids. Highlighting the things they do that are the same as what these older women had done in their young mom days fosters empathy and respect on both sides. My final takeaway is to figure out your why and keep it close. It's so much easier to stay consistent with what you're doing, especially if it's something that you're the only one doing, when you have a clear and compelling vision for why it matters. Maybe you want to make sure your kids can understand their abuelitos, their grandparents like me. Maybe you're raising vegan kids because you're passionate about animal rights and caring for the environment. Or maybe you're committed to raising kids that are rooted in the traditions and culture of your immigrant family. Whatever your reason, reminding yourself of what it is will give you the motivation to keep going when things feel hard or frustrating. So to recap, my three takeaways for how to mom differently than everyone around you are, number one, you don't have to do it alone. You can find help and online, especially there's lots of resources and friends. Number two, focus on the similarities, not the differences. And number three, figure out your why, the reason you're doing this hard or unusual thing and keep it close so you don't forget it. I love 3 and 30 podcast, and I hope that these three tips can help your motherhood experience feel a little less isolating. And if you happen to be raising a multilingual or multicultural family, or if you're interested in making reading in Spanish and Espanol fun for your kids, I'd love to connect with you online at bilingualbookworm.com or on Instagram at solbookbox. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you, Rachel, for this wonderful podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Goodman, and I am so excited to be part of Rachel's 3 in 30 birthday podcast. A little bit about me. I live in Mesa, Arizona. I've been married about 19 years, and I've got four girls. They are 16, 14, 12, and 10. So life at my house is very fun, very busy, and it can be quite emotional, as you can imagine. So of course, my three takeaways for you are how to allow your children to feel their emotions. As a mom of all girls, this has been so helpful for me to learn. All right, the first takeaway I have is acceptance. Accept the fact that your children are going to feel negative emotion. And not just the negative emotion that comes from doing hard things, but the negative emotion that comes from feeling left out. That comes from really hard things that we don't want our kids to go through. Expect and accept that these things will happen and decide right now to be the kind of mom that can show up to for your kids with love. And that leads to my second takeaway. And it's my favorite thought. It's my kids can worry and I don't have to. So often we feel like if our kids are worried and if our kids are sad, then naturally the most loving thing that we can do is to be worried and sad too. It almost seems like it wouldn't be right as a mom to not be sad if my kids are sad. But what I have learned is that getting to a place of peace, trust, and love for my kids 
helps me so much more than if I get in that worry and in that sadness with them. I can, they don't need someone else to be sad and to be worried. They need someone strong and they need someone to believe in them. Life for kids these days is hard. I think it's always been hard in any generation, but it's hard for those, for our kids. And so to be that person and decide today to be the kind of mom that is strong for your kids, that has so much love and trust that they can figure anything out, even if they're really in a struggle. And even if that struggle is because of their own life choices, to always show up from a place that you love your kids and you trust that they have the ability to figure it out. It feels so much better than going straight to worry and sadness. That can come later. There's a time to process emotions that are hard when we're dealing with things that are difficult with our kids. But when you show up with your kids, you want to be strong and loving and come from a place of peace that can show up in trust so that you can trust your children. All right. And I feel like just to add that if you define your values as a mom, one of my values is that I want to show up in love. And so that was helpful for me to notice that not going into worry or sadness was actually part of the value that I had as a mom to show up in love. So that felt a little bit better and it made it a little bit easier not to go right to that worry and that sadness with them. Okay, my last takeaway. What if we don't agree with the things that our children are doing? This is for moms of teenagers. Often our children, when they're younger, they might make decisions or do things that are really obnoxious or really annoying. But when they get older, these decisions are tricky. And if they do things that we don't agree with and we don't support, how do we show up for them? One of the things that I have learned as a parent of teenagers that was a really hard lesson was the fact that I didn't have all the control that I wanted to have. I grew up as a mom thinking with my younger kids that I could control and prevent anything from happening to my kids because I knew how to show up in love and in empathy and I was very patient. But when they started growing up and making choices and not thinking the same as me and not taking my advice, my wonderful advice, it was really difficult for me. And so what I have decided that has been so helpful for me is giving non well, listening in a non-judgmental way. So takeaway three is non-judgmental listening. Can you listen to your kids and not offer advice? One of my favorite quotes is, by the time our kids are teenagers, they know what you think about things. And this is so true because I noticed as I was giving my opinions, my kids would tune them out. But as I listened and as I responded in a way that wanted more information, they were so willing to share with me, especially now that they know I'm not going to offer advice. And that is building equity so that when I do share my opinions, they really care about my opinion. And it feels so good. And it helps with the second takeaway of they can worry and I don't have to worry because it's building my trust in them because they really are smart kids. All right. So that's what I've got for you today. My three takeaways, acceptance, allowing your kids to worry and you don't have to be worried, then the last takeaway, non-judgmental listening. Happy birthday, 3 and 30. Thank you, Rachel, for giving me this opportunity. Hi, everyone. My name is Katie Ressler, and I'm a licensed professional counselor from the USA living in Munich, Germany. I am married to a tall, handsome man with an accent, 
That's why I'm in Germany. And I have two girls, five and almost three years old. They keep me very active and my brain constantly going because we're in that phase of why is it this way? Why is it that way? But imagine that times two because they're bilingual. So I want to talk to you today about family meetings and how this helps families to work on their communication and how it helps them to be even more connected and build trust. It's really important, not only in my family, but I've worked with families for over 10 years in incorporating family meetings so that people are on the same page and they start to see the positive effects over time. So my first takeaway for you is that family meetings are a great way for everyone to get on the same page. I don't know about you guys, but when I became a mom, my to-do list grew exponentially. And then my second daughter came and I was like, I don't even think I have enough paper for what more I need to write down that needs to get done. And my poor husband and I would argue so often about who said what and what day was supposed to be this and why don't you have that ready and who's in charge of that anyway and just because I'm the mom doesn't mean I'm in charge of it. And we were arguing so often that we finally said, why don't we start doing this thing, Katie, you've been teaching other families to do for so long. So we started having family meetings. Now, because my girls were so young, we called them couples check-ins. And we actually like to call it the state of the family, where we sit down and plan our week together. And we talk about the things that we need to be prepared for. It's a great time to talk about what do you want to be doing that following weekend. And we make sure to have ours at the beginning of the week. So it really sets the tone for the week. It really is the best way to make sure everybody knows and has fully heard what day is what due, what things need to get done by the end of the week. And if you have a joint calendar, you solve that even more by making sure everybody gets those reminders. The second thing I want you to know about family meetings is that it creates space for communication. Very often our kids don't feel like they're listened to because sometimes they're not. We're so busy and so frustrated with life that we have our mind going da 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 next thing, next thing, next thing. We're on our phones. Someone has called us. We have the next thing we need to be doing, and our kids just want to be heard. And sometimes we feel that way with our partners too, don't we? We just want to be heard, but they're so busy and they don't have time. So having a family meeting and knowing once a week we're going to have about 30 minutes where we sit down together and we can just talk, talk about the things that we liked from the week, Talk about the things we didn't, the things we want to improve in our family. What are the problems that we're seeing that we'd like to stop now because, before they become big issues? It's not event fest. Don't get me wrong. It is about having time to just talk and look each other in the eyes. Isn't that wonderful? I miss that. I see friends and uh, fellow family members take their kids to restaurants and they just stare at their phones. And I think, oh, you're missing out on so much. The third takeaway that I want you to realize about family meetings is that it builds trust through accountability and routine. If I know every week my family is going to get together on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. and we're going to talk for 30 minutes about what needs to happen that week, what's due, um, what I can do to contribute to my family, and I know that I'm going to be heard during that time, I start to feel that trust and accountability. That's the same thing that happens with coaches and a team. We huddle up together. We're here. We're going to meet for this practice every week. We're going to do these drills. And all of a sudden you feel this trust for your coach because they're always there. 
and they're always listening and they're always pushing you to be better. So being able to create accountability and routine in your home through family meetings is hugely important in helping your kids know that they've got that space again to communicate, that everyone can get on the same page, and that they know that they matter. So if you'd like to learn more about family meetings, I have a family meeting success blueprint, and you can find that on my website at www.positive-connections.com. This is a great resource for you to start doing it like next week by teaching you how to pre-prepare for family meetings and learn what are the things that you want to incorporate in yours to make it special. Hello, 3 and 30 listeners. My name is Joanne Jarrett, and I am a family physician turned stay-at-home mom. I live in rural Montana, and my husband Scott and I have two daughters, 14 and 15. I'm a big fan of 3 and 30, and my favorite episode is episode 44, Three Strategies to Find Joy After a Move with Jessica Dahlquist. It is so worth a listen, even if you haven't moved. Her takeaways are so broadly applicable. I know you'll love them. Today, my three takeaways are three tactics for raising honest kids. One day it just dawned on me. I think we are teaching, encouraging, requiring, even forcing our kids to be liars. I think almost every parent without meaning to is doing this and I want to start a conversation about it. I'm definitely not criticizing or pulling the holier than thou act. We're all in the same boat here. But I think we may need to look around and make sure this is the boat we mean to be in. We all have different items on our list of family values, but I'm certain honesty is on every list. From the very beginning, Scott and I have emphasized to our girls that we must be able to trust each other. The four of us are our home base, and if we can't rely on one another for honesty, then the world's not a very secure place. We decided early on that with regards to lying, the punishment should outweigh the crime. We wanted to make sure that being caught in a lie would not be worth it in our house. You with me? Well, if that's the case, then why are we forcing our kids to say, I'm sorry when they're not sorry? Or I love it when they receive every gift. And why are we using empty threats? These things are undermining our efforts to emphasize the importance of honesty from our kids. I have three takeaways to encourage honesty in our children. Takeaway number one is to find something different to ask your children to say besides I'm sorry. When your child does something that they should not have done that either disappoints or hurts or angers someone else or breaks a rule, our knee-jerk reaction is to instruct them to say I'm sorry. But many times they're just not sorry. They aren't. They're angry or they're embarrassed or they're beside themselves in some other way, but right in that moment, they are not sorry. They might be sorry they were caught in the act or that they're in trouble. And you know, sometimes they are sorry, but a lot of times they aren't. And I think forcing them to make a proclamation that while socially acceptable is inaccurate is in fact forcing them to lie. So when I realized this, I think our kids were in preschool and I started to instruct them to say, I shouldn't have done that. I broke a rule or I shouldn't have done that. I hurt you or I shouldn't have done that. I'll try not to do it again. And with this, they are still verbally acknowledging wrongdoing and they're expounding on the specific situation, but they're also avoiding the disingenuous platitude of I'm sorry. Wouldn't it be interesting to see a bar graph with lies per kids per year given in the two different strategies? I don't know. But child rearing is not so simple as a bar graph, is it? (laughs) You could argue that it's just semantics, but I think not. I think it's important. The second takeaway is to teach your children how to respond honestly and thoughtfully when receiving a gift. I always felt so squirmy leading up to gift opening 
season when it involved our girls. Kids are so brutally honest that our instinct is to ensure that the honesty doesn't cause hurt feelings or social awkwardness. I hate awkwardness. I know we all do, but it makes me squirm. I'm getting itchy around the collar just thinking about it. I think simply instructing our kids to give a blanket stamp of approval on every gift is, again, not genuine and not honest. Instead, they need to be instructed to focus on the fact that each gift giver took the time to choose something they thought would be loved. And when this occurred to me, I began asking my kids to keep that in mind when offering thanks and to refrain from letting out any negative comments, but to search their minds quickly for something positive and honest to say about each gift. Like, thank you, I love yellow. Or thank you, I collect turtles. Or thank you, I'm looking forward to learning how to play this. It does require on-the-spot effort, but trust me, your kids can do it. They need to learn that dishonesty is a misguided shortcut when attempting to avoid hurt feelings or awkwardness. It might be the easiest way, but it's not the right way. And after a couple of years of intense pre-party gift response prep, our kids did internalize this. And now, instead of thinking of themselves when they receive gifts, they're thinking about the heart of the giver. The third takeaway is not to give your kids empty threats. Scott and I noticed this before we had kids, and we decided to resist the urge to use this tactic. And what I mean is, have you ever heard somebody in the grocery store? We probably have all done it in times of (laughs) great distress, but when you say to your kids when they won't come with you, if you don't come right now, I'm leaving without you. You know it's it's empty. Modeling dishonesty to our kids is a way to undermine the honest character that we're trying to build in them. So modeling honesty is what we need to be doing. Balancing kindness with honesty and social grace is hard. Briefly, again, the three takeaways are, number one, teach your children to say something honest when they are making verbal amends for wrongdoing. Number two, teach your children something honest and thoughtful to say when they are receiving a gift. And number three, model honesty by refraining from making empty threats. This has been so much fun. I hope that you've learned something that you can make useful in your parenting. I'm Joanne Jarrett. You can find me on CozyClothesBlog.com or the Fancy Free Podcast where my girlfriends and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we can all feel less alone in our imperfections. I want to send a big thank you to those beautiful women who shared with us today. And as a reminder, I want you to share too. Hopefully you're feeling inspired and you have some ideas flowing of different takeaways that you could share with the people in your life. And if you still don't have any ideas, please go to the webpage 3in30podcast.com forward slash birthday, where there's a list of about 40 different topic ideas to get you started thinking. If you post on social media, use the hashtag my3in30 and tag me. Or if you share privately with friends, just send me an email and let me know that you shared and tell me what your takeaways were. I truly love hearing from you. All of the instructions for participating in this birthday party extravaganza, as well as how to host an in-person gathering, are at that 3in30podcast.com forward slash birthday. So check it out. You guys are my favorite. I love 3in30 because it has brought you into my life, and I will forever be grateful for that. So give your kids a hug from me. Give yourself a hug from me. (laughs) And I hope you have a great week with your family. Um, thank you for listening to my mom's podcast. It really means a lot to us that we could help moms out there. We love you and you're great moms. Goodbye. Okay, where's the pause button? Oh, here.